All right, we're back for episode five of the Fried Egg Podcast, and today we have a great guest. His name's Vince India. He's spent the last three years on the Web.com tour, also playing on PGA Tour Latin America, and he's currently at in Miami for the PGA Latin America Championship. And next week we'll be playing in the final stage of Q School. So uh, Vince, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Andy. This is uh, this is pretty cool. My first podcast. Yeah, it's uh, it's only our fifth, so you I've only got a little <laughs> bit of experience over you. So well, good. We're both new to it then. So uh, Vince and I know each other from uh, Illinois golf. Um, you know, he was one of the reasons that I never pursued a professional career of playing. <laughs> Uh, in the 2000, what was it, 10 or 2011? That you won? 2010 State Amateur Championship. Yeah. Yeah. We should tell a story about that if you want to. Yeah, 2010 State Am, I, uh, I had played two really good rounds of golf. I was even par, and I was in, you know, I was in the top 10, and I was like nine shots back of Vince. And I was mm-hmm. like, Jesus. And, and then he ended up beating me by like 20 shots in the end, but his, uh, his round got off to quite a start there. Um, and, uh, he, he fired a lot of good rounds to win at, uh, Beverly. Do you, do you want to tell that story right off the bat? Yeah, it was, it was going into my senior year of college at Iowa and started coming out as a pretty decent amateur golfer at the nice finishes. And uh, didn't have any super high expectations for my senior year. Qualified for the state am, and um, you know didn't have any massive expectations. And the summer of 2010 will always be remembered as the summer Smirnoff Ice was a massive, massive hit in my group of friends. And that's the situation where you know you go out and buy a 12 pack of ice, and you know you had that whole thing where you ice all your friends, you hide the Smirnoff ice like under a couch or under the pillow or in the or in the in the fridge when they want to go get a snack and all of a sudden you have to get on one knee and chug it. So the day before the state am, uh, I'm hanging out in the birds with a few friends and things probably got carried out of hand and I ended up getting iced five or six times. And you know, eight thirty tee off time the next day and I'm heading in the wrong direction in sobriety. So I kinda wallow myself out to the uh the outside area, feeling crappy with all the sugar in my stomach. And, you know, at this point, I need to make myself feel better so I'm not hungover and, you know, sloshing around the golf course. So I try to make myself throw up, which, you know, that seemed like the logical thing to do at that point. You know, get all the booze out of me, you know, hangover's gone, and, you know, then we're off tomorrow morning. And I really, first off, I'm definitely scared of throwing up in general. So this is in my forte, and I'm really struggling. All of a sudden, one of my buddies comes out, huge brand star at Madison, and uh, he's kind of coaching me through it, telling me what to do, and he gives me three key words of advice, and I just painted this guy's fence with vomit just everywhere. Go home next morning, still feel crappy. Get to the golf course, hungover, four over through six. And I'm on the seventh hole of Beverly on the back nine for the 16th in the trees, just toast. You know, you, you've been there. It's, you're in jail. And I tried to punch out, and I grounded it like 10 feet. And I, <laughs> he's kidding. I go, okay, hold on. I'll be right back. Go behind a tree, two fingers down the throat again, try to get everything out. And then I go back to this other punch out, almost the identical thing. Look up. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a window. There's a window like the size of maybe a lampshade. Let's go through that. Hit it through there to like 40 feet. Make the putt. And then I played my last eight holes and seven under par. Or uh, last 11 holes and seven under par. And uh, then I ended up winning by seven. So it all started with uh, with that Smirnoff ice, I guess. It It probably, you know, it just got you in the right feeling for the last 11 once you got the last of the booze out of you you know you were you were that perfect balance of hungover yeah and... it's, yeah that's the key sometimes um every now and then you'll have a you have a pro-am party in south america or in Colombia or 
whatever country you have down here, that's almost a little bit too much fun, and you know, it's hard to not overindulge. But I always look at it that, you know, sometimes you play a little bit better at golf when you're you're not focused on golf. Like, you know, let's say that you're not feeling good the next morning. You're just trying to make it step-by-step step to the next golf shot. You know what I mean? Like, you're just focused on getting to your next golf shot without falling over or passing out. And then all of a sudden you're at the golf shot and you go, oh, well, this is just terrible, you know. You're not thinking about what could possibly go wrong in between you know, the uh, the last shot and your next one. So, you know, you got to take everything in stride, I suppose. Yeah, I think it makes you not try too hard, which is a... Yeah, exactly. Like everybody. I know I try. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I go through peaks and valleys, but sometimes I try too hard, and I obviously try a little, a little less at times, but it's all about balance, I suppose. So uh, you kind of hit on it. Some would call you a late bloomer in golf, where mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden you kind of like burst on the scene later in your college career. I mean, you won the state am. Was that like a big kind of jumping off point for you? Yeah, that certainly was a stepping stone. If, uh, that summer in general was really good. I qualified for the U.S. Amateur my first time and um, finished pretty high in the uh, state amateur match play. And then I won the state M at a really, really nice golf course and um, beat a couple of Illini players, and you know how good their team is. So, mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of kick-started me into an awesome fall season at Iowa my senior year. And then uh, all of a sudden I was getting asked to, you know, play all these clubs for uh, club manufacturers. So it's amazing yeah, how, how stuff it, can change in. How does that work when you, you know, are a really good college player and, like, what's, like, the turning pro process like? And when did you know, like, hey, you know, I've got a real shot to play this for a living? Oh, man. Um, The turning pro process is not as complicated as you think. The actual actual turning point and when when you become a pro is, you sign up for your first event, and there's two boxes to check. There's one that says amateur and then one that says pro. And as soon as you click the pro box and press submit, you're technically a professional. So that's kind of underwhelming. But the process leading up to that, like behind the scenes with all the clubs and stuff, usually kids in college will have some type of agreement with a company that they'll, uh, they'll send them products, you know, have them play their balls, wedges, clubs, drivers, what have you. And then, you know, depending on how how they turn out as a college player, those companies will uh, will keep in contact and then um, approach them once their college uh, college career is over. And uh, you know, then all of a sudden you have a manufacturer in your back pocket, and you know, maybe they know a good friend that's an agent, and before that, uh, you have an agent and possibly more deals. So that's kind of how it works. So you're you're a Callaway guy now. Have you always been a Callaway guy? Yeah, for as long as I remember. Um, high school was a mixed bag of everything, whatever I could get my hands on. Really didn't have a preference. And then sophomore year in, at Iowa, my coach set up an arrangement with Callaway because they were looking to they were looking to send some product to a few college players, and they didn't have a they didn't have very many playing their stuff at the time. And uh, I was one of the lucky ones to receive some product. And uh, I think it's been eight years now with Callaway, and uh, I've seen I've seen the good, the bad, and the great. And uh, it's amazing how far a company can go in eight years. And uh, I've just seen how awesome their line has turned out in that time. I, have you hit their new driver? It's apparently like the what? race of... What's it called, like the Epic or something? Yeah, yeah. Everybody's saying it's just crazy good. I haven't hit it, but I've also heard the exact same thing. Like a bunch of Nike guys that have gone to Callaway and fiddled with things over there have just said it's outstanding. So, um, yeah, hopefully I'll uh, I'll get to go hit it when I go to the Callaway Performance Center in January or whenever I head over there. Mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah. I, I want to get my hands on one. 
Yeah, I need all the distance I can get. What, um... I think... What? I was going to say, if I uh, if I run across another one, maybe I'll just bear one, I could probably uh, snag up with my favorite golf blogger, you know, as long as we get a Callaway logo on the Friday. How's that sound? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's a good deal for the, for the Friday. Those logos okay, that's, are... that's fine. I guess the logos are expensive. You're probably looking for more than a five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We can All right, I shorted you there. Sorry. Maybe a full set of talk, you know. <laughs> Um, so tell us, uh, you know, a little bit about Q school. I think it's the most undercovered golf event of the year because it's the only time you really see these guys, you know, and not these guys, you and all these other pros playing for essentially their livelihoods and their jobs. So Uh can you, can you walk us through like what the vibes are like at each stage and, you know, what you know the difference is as as you move up to the final stage sure um let's see here so there's four stages you have and they're just they're all numbered differently so the first stage is actually pre-qualifying then you have the first which is the second stage technically then second stage and final stage and um as a member of the web.com I get to bypass pre-qualifying and then you go to the first stage, which is there's got to be 10 or 11 sites throughout the country. Um, 80 players will be there. They take the load, 25 or so. And, um, you know, you see some guys that you've seen from junior golf and college golf that are still playing golf, but um, you just haven't seen them as much as you probably should have since I've been playing out on Latino American uh and web.com, and I think they've just kind of been hanging around playing state, you know, mini tours and uh, state opens like that. But, um, you know, you really don't need to play great golf to get out of the first stage. You just kind of need to not make doubles and um, just play solid golf, and that's really all it takes, you know. You could definitely play average golf to get out of there. You just can't play. You just can't have any stretches of super bad golf that shoot you in the foot. Um but also underratedly for me, first stage is, you know, kind of stressful because you almost take it for granted. Like, in my opinion, I think making 30 grand on the web.com every year, the fact that there's 25 guys that need to go back to first stage that are in the same position as I am, is it's kind of ridiculous. But since all of us almost make it out to second stage anyways, I think it's just a waste of time. But also the fact that we have to go back there, it's uh, it's we almost place the highest of expectations. And then, you know, as soon as you start thinking about the outcome before, you know, you play around the golf, that's when weird stuff starts happening. And, you know, lo and behold, I made it out the first stage on the number at 500 par at the 25th spot. You know? So um, goofy stuff happens. And that's the best way I can describe Q school is like Murphy's Law, whatever, whatever, bad can happen will is that how that goes whatever can go wrong will so um you just think differently you feel a little bit differently because you know you are fighting for a job next year and uh, your decision making at times is just completely erroneous it's like when you're dormy and mass play like with a big lead and you're you stop you take your foot off the gas almost right Essentially, yeah. That was, that was my situation. The last round of, at first stage there, I was uh, I was three under after four, like miles in front of the cut line. And I just started getting like real complacent with like every golf shot I hit out there. And it wasn't a terribly easy golf course. Like there was trouble to be found. But as soon as that started happening, um, you know, started making sloppy bogeys and before I knew it, I needed to birdie one of my last two holes to get through, and, you know, thank God I did, but, you know, funny things just happen that, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't normally see during the rest of the year. Yeah, so when you go to second stage, it, um, it's kind of like you're, you know, if you make it, you've got a job at the yeah. bare minimum, and if you don't, mm-hmm. you don't have a job. So, you know, second stage for, for the 
listeners that don't really understand it. If you get through second stage, you're assured some sort of status on the web.com tour. Um, yeah, which is huge. It, yeah, because you can get starts, you can get sponsors, more sponsors exemptions, correct? Yeah, can, I mean, that's how that's what happened with Trey Mullinax. Um, we played together two years ago at second stage. He got through, then finished almost dead last at finals. Then get the sponsor's invite. He wasn't going to get into anything on his number based off his finish at Q school. But got a sponsor invite into Bogota, the first event of the year, because Justin Thomas, you know, has some pull and leverage down there. And, uh, well, you know, he finished well. He shuffled in and then kept his card that year and then earned his PGA Tour card the next year. So, you know, it's, I mean, what kind of pull does Justin Thomas have in Bogota? You might need to explain that. Explain that. Sounds um, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the same thing with uh, – same thing with Jordan Spieth, I think. So, I don't want to I don't want to speculate, but I'm almost certain there's some um, there's some financial pull down there that is almost required for a sponsor invite. Uh, um, if you uh, if you know of a person or you know you have a you have a guy that's willing to shell out you know x amount of dollars for what one of these sponsor exemptions might cost, then more than likely you'll get into the tournament. Mm-hmm. That's it. What do you, uh, so you've been at that same site for three straight years, that second stage site, and you've made yeah. it through all three years. Uh-huh. There, do you just love that golf course? What is Southern Pines? Southern Hills in uh, Southern Hills Plantation in Brooksville, Florida. So it's a combination of the golf course and end of the arrangements I kind of I kind of have set up when I go there. So for anyone that hasn't been to Brooksville, it's 45 to 50 minutes north of Tampa. Kind of in the middle nah, yeah, central central Florida pretty much. Not a whole lot going on. People in their free time like to go ATV, ATV riding, like to go shoot guns, you know, do some pretty weird stuff. And uh, there's not a whole lot to do up there. The places to stay are a day's in, maybe a Hampton Inn, like 12 miles away. So it can be kind of a rough place to go if um, you don't have the right people on your side. And luckily, my first year there, I got in touch with a nice family within the community. And uh, they've kind of taken me under their wing and made me a, I wouldn't even call it an honorary member, but they let me come down and, um, stay on property and play at the golf course whenever I want, and it's almost like a, I have like a whole group of friends in Southern Hills Plantation. That whenever I go down there, it's like uh, like we pick up right where we left off. So that's that helps a ton, to be honest. You know, staying in like a nice house, um, having people to interact around uh, around you, and feels it feels a little bit more like home, which is nice. And then the golf course is. I think pretty fantastic on top of that. So that kind of touches on, on something I wanted to talk about later. Um, so, you know, playing on that Latin American tour when you're in Nicaragua and, and Argentina and Venezuela, like what happens when you miss a cut? Like what do you do in your free time? Like in, in, in general, what do you do in your free time? That's entirely dependent on what city we go to and like how close we are to city center. So let's say, let's say we're in Bogota, Colombia and last couple of terms we played in Bogota, we've stayed in the city and commuted out to the golf course, maybe a half hour, 45 minutes. If I miss a cut in Bogota, there is maybe a five to 7% chance that I go to the golf course that weekend. Because more often than not, um, after missing a cut on Friday, I'll be going out to dinner with friends, more than likely not going out to the bars and um, experiencing nightlife. Then come Saturday, I'll, I mean, the thing is, people party down there until 4 or 5 in the morning. And, um, you know, you're not going to get home from the bars until, you know, 4.35, even 5.30, who knows. And by that time, you're in no shape to go to the golf course, so you might as well just scratch Saturday off. 
you're going to be horizontal for most of the day. And, uh, you know, depending on how how you're feeling uh, later Saturday night, you either you go back out and do it again or, uh, you know, you uh, try to recuperate and have a productive Sunday. So, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it really depends on the city. And uh, I'll, I will always try to spend as little time as possible in a hotel room or an Airbnb where I'm, um, wherever I'm staying. So uh, if I miss a cut, more than likely not, I'll be out doing, uh, seeing the sites and checking out the city. So somebody, you know, once told me that it's, you know, professional golf, you know, the difference between professional golf and, and college golf is really how you're able to handle travel being on the road, being away from friends and family, like, would you say that's one, probably the hardest thing about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's got to be different for guys that are married and have families, but it's for anyone, it's not, it's certainly not easy. Um, you know, it's, especially having a language barrier down there and having people down there look at you differently, you almost feel like you're not welcomed or you know, not appreciated. So, and then, um, and then if, if you don't have like a decent group of friends down here, it makes it even tougher. So that's, uh, that's one of the hard parts. And I'm pretty fortunate to have a good group of guys out here to hang out with and spend my time with if I ever, if I ever need, uh, some time away from golf. Yeah. uh, How, how's that, how's kind of like your golf life balance? I imagine when you first turn pro, like you're just going golf, golf, golf all the time. Did it mm-hmm. you hit a point where like you're like, you know, I got to have balance. And then what what do you like to do like when you're not practicing? Like, you know, what do you do with all your downtime, say when you're traveling and you're away? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. You kind of hit it on the head there. Like uh, right out of college, I was just, you know, pumped and moved to Florida and play golf year-round. And I did that for three straight years, you know. Whenever whenever I wasn't on the road, I'd be home in Florida practicing and playing or even up in the Chicago area seeing my coaches. And I think I found out last year that I was just wasn't – I wasn't, like, physically or mentally ready to – you know, start the season or when it came time for April and May that I wasn't all there, like, mentally. Like, I was almost already burnt out, and we're not even halfway done with the calendar year. So this year I decided to change it up, or last year, I suppose. Um, I'm going to winter in Chicago for the foreseeable future and possibly year-round just because that's how I did it in college. You know, we had a solid month and a half, two months off of, uh, not a whole lot of golf. You know, we worked out and, you know, we hit balls indoors sometimes, but no traveling, no grinding, you know, no pressure on scoring or, you know, tournament results. And I think that's kind of what I needed. I needed, I needed some downtime and time to freshen up. And, uh, I think that's, I wouldn't say it's a recipe for everybody, but certainly the way I need to operate. I think that's, uh, you see, Guys, with the, the way the professional golf landscapes turned into a year-round calendar thing, I mean, you uh-huh. see, like Jason Day shuts it down after the FedEx Cup. Yeah, and I think last year he didn't play until he didn't. He said he didn't touch a club until uh, that Kapalua tournament. Even though I, I yeah. heard that other things about how he just worked on a short game and putting all the time, but at the same sense. Like time away from the game, I think is always good. I think I I see it even like if I start playing bad, if I take a week, two weeks off in the summer, it does yeah. wonder, you know. Yeah, I'm the biggest proponent of less is more time. So mm-hmm. you'll see me often than not uh, take extended time away from the game of golf, and uh, I I think it does wonders for not only your body just because of how bad the golf swing is for joints. But you know, your back and all that, but also for your mental mental stability, <laughs> as you probably know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, 
telling you, so you you Monday qualified this year for the Valspar. So now you've played on the PGA Tour, the Web.com Tour, and the Latin American Tour. What's, mm-hmm. the, what's just the difference in experience as a player on each of those tours? Like from I, I obviously know that it's got to be a, a huge difference from the Latin America Tour to the to the PGA Tour. But walk us through what it's like to be inside the ropes on each of those tours. Well, let's start at the bottom here. Uh, depending on what type of event it is on Latino America, you either get nobody out here or you'll get a decent crowd. Like, let's just take the Argentine Open last week. That's uh, that's a staple on the tour. By far the best run event, biggest crowd. And, you know, you have Fabian Gomez playing, uh, Emiliano Grillo, and Angel Cabrera as well. So you're going to get... I, I have to say there was at least a couple thousand people out there. And, um, yeah, it's nice to see people out. And it's, uh, as the, my first impression, my first event out here was I was certainly uncomfortable because it was, uh, you know, you saw banners and you saw everything roped off in grandstands. And in 2014 or 13, I was, I was, that was that was new to me. This was cool. Like um, I'm playing on a legitimate tour, and then I slowly slowly built up a tolerance. You know, I felt comfortable playing with people in front of me, and uh, you know, then you get to the web.com and it's like you know it starts all over again. Like there's more people. You're playing for more money. You know, the players are better, the golf courses are better, and um, you know, I slowly been getting comfortable out there. And then all of a sudden, you know, I qualified for the Valve Spot. You know, it's like a whole new level of uncomfortableness, you know. Instead of, you know, a few hundred people, there's tens of thousands of people. And there's, you know, all the people that you see, you know, that you've watched growing up or, you know, hitting bunker shots next to you. You're putting right next to, like, BJ Singh, Luke Dow, which is really dang cool. But, uh, you know, it's kind of all about getting your feet wet. And that's what I told everybody is that, you know, the game's – aren't very different between the top players on web.com and some of those guys that keep their PG tour card every year. It's just, you know, they kind of know what to expect and uh, they handle themselves pretty dang well in some situations. And that's really all it is. Yeah, I think that every golfer struggles with when you move up a level, you get a little uncomfortable and when you're uncomfortable, bad things happen in your swing. And you know, yeah, things tend, exactly. to, tend to go out and off the rails a little bit quicker. Um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. It's that so you know, in terms of uh, you know the Web.com tour where you played most of your golf, like you know, who's been the most impressive guy that you've played with where you've really been like, wow, this guy is really good, and you know, they could either have made it the PGA Tour or haven't made it yet? Well, if we really turn back the clock, when I played with Hideki Matsuyama in 2011, when we were both amateurs still, that's uh, that's kind of knew how good the players were coming up. Is this guy was top five in the world amateur rankings. Like, man, how good can he be? I'm like, I'm like 25. He can't be that much better than me. And yeah, he shot 62. So, <laughs> give me where, my nines. Where did you play with him? That was at the World University of Games, and uh, like a decent golf course, not overly easy by any means. And I think I shot one or two under. And I mean, Hideki literally hit like 62 perfect golf shots. I thought, and uh, I got wow. It looks like I got a long way to go. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, he was definitely one of them. Uh, played a lot of golf with Russell Henley before uh, before he got on the PJ Tour, both in college and then uh, every now and then a few Hooters Hooters events. Um, I always know he was gonna he was gonna get out there. The guy's just a crazy good athlete and an awesome competitor. So um, he was another one, and. Um, Probably John Peterson too. Wild John Peterson, great ball striker, good God. Guy hits it on a frozen rope every time. And uh, after playing with him a few times in college, and 
on the mini tour stuff. I said, yep, it's time. I'll see you out there. Yeah. So those are a couple he, that come to mind. He's a big hunter, according to – Huge you know, hunter. I him on Twitter. <laughs> might, might be hunting more than he's golfing. Yeah, he's yeah he's really gotten into Instagram these days, especially <laughs> the uh, far right you know, opinions. But uh, John's a good guy. He comes from a great family. And I like what he's doing. You know, he's reached out to, and he found his he found his niche. You know what I mean? He found his his group of followers and he appeals to them. And he's honestly quite a funny guy. Did you see what he did with uh, his Christmas lights? No, no. Oh, it's outstanding. It's uh, he put it on Instagram and he uh, he synced it up all with some Christmas song. And apparently, it took him five days. And it's like something straight out of the Griswold. It's hysterical. So. I would really recommend looking at that. It's a, a I, I really respect seconds. that as a, a PGA Tour member, you know, doing very well that he he did it all himself. Yeah, he did, and he loves that. He's, uh, I think, it was his second year doing it, and I think he he knew that people liked when he put up his Christmas lights last year, and then I think he outdid himself this year, and. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear what you think when you watch his Instagram video. It's, oh. it's so comical, and if you know John at all, then it makes perfect sense because he's so goofy. <laughs> For all the listeners, I'll uh, I'll embed, I'll find that Instagram post and embed it on the podcast page so everybody doesn't yeah. have to look for. That's um, legendary. So, you know, tell us tell us your best story from from your travel. You know. Are we talking like golf story or you know, you know, laugh maybe? Because there's a ton of them. Some of them I don't really remember, but the one I was just talking about with some friends here. I mean, I would say either or. You know, the best story from either the web.com tour at this course in Miami, and one of the good friends that traveled with me. Either or. Either or. Well, uh, we'll start with my first year out here, and and on um, I run into my old friend yesterday, who's the head of the golf course, and we were telling each other stories. And the one that we kind of went back to frequently was a tournament in the Dominican, and the tour put us up at the Rock Hotel and Casino. Like, uh, who's, who's idea? Like, you're going to 150, 150, you know, 20, early 20 males to a resort destination, all-inclusive nonetheless, and expect them to have, like, a tournament. Well, um, I ended up walking the golf course after 27 holes. I was so over par and all I wanted to do was reach. So I went to the beach and, um... Later that night, I went out to the clubs. A couple of guys that weren't kind of snuck through through the back entrance, which is pretty fun. fun. Like you need you need a break at the front of the resort. And, uh, I think you get escorted by police if you have been caught. But two of our friends were snuck in somehow, and everything's hunky dory. We go to you know hit the roulette tables. You know, say one o'clock. Son, our friend, uh, we'll call we'll call him Paul. Our Paul is seen running out, being chased by three or four big bouncers, and uh, you kind of look, you know, feel like a person, and do some do some very very limited uh, limited practice. And I get to the range, and I see Paul emerged from the brush behind the range and he's walking along the car path toward the clubhouse and I can kind of just see him and I'm trying to think to myself what in God's name is he doing out here? Makes his way to the front of the range have a conversation I go Paul what what the hell happened? Where have you been? He goes Vince, I just slept in a bunker on the 16th fairway. (laughs) He outran the security guard in the pitch black at night 
somehow found his way to the golf course, and the 16th is kind of close to the hotel. He ran backwards down the 16th and hit in a pot bunker and slept in it overnight. <laughs> and then walked down the driving range backwards, pretty much had a reverse walk of shame. And so, entire, you know, tournament staff and officials. Was was Paul a, a player in the field? Yeah, Paul's a player in the field, <laughs> not just like myself. <laughs> but uh, that's just that's just the type of things that go on down here. It's good fun. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I mean, I wonder what it what it was like sleeping in a pot bunker. That could be you a know, good title uh, of the book. It had to be questionable. This golf course was cut out of the jungle, so God only knows what other stuff was, like, walking around you at that point of the night. There had to be panthers, you know, possibly monkeys, definitely snakes and giant lizards. So, you know, hats off to Paul for sleeping in a bunker. That's just legendary right there. (laughs) Absolutely love it. He's a legend. Yeah, that's terrific. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, let's get into some uh, reader questions here. Mm. So we've got um, one from we got a couple here from Robbie Jevich. He uh, he wants to know what is your pre-round meal, and does it change throughout the week? That's a great question. Um, Breakfast is always the same. I will say, before I go to bed, I will have three three whiskeys. That's always a consistent. And um, sometimes it's three and a half, but it's never more than four. So that's uh, that's usually what I what I call my three round meals: my three scotches or three whiskeys. Does it just it it helps you sleep? I imagine. Oh yeah, amongst other things, you know, it helps you sleep. It uh, takes the edge off and yeah. uh, takes your mind off golf a little bit. So, you know, I think that's my uh, it's my pre and my post round meal, I suppose. What's what's your whiskey of choice or scotch of choice? Are you more of a whiskey fan than a scotch fan? Um. It really depends on how I play because one is so much more expensive than the other. So <laughs> if I'm playing good and let's say I made a decent check in a Latino event and I happen to go by duty-free, I'll reward myself with a decent bottle of scotch. But mm-hmm. um, if I'm traveling, let's, uh, Q School is a good, uh, a, good, um, a good example of that. Like first stage, there is no purse. Same thing with second stage. So... You know, you don't want to spend a whole lot of money, so let's go buy a, uh, a $25 bottle of Buffalo Trace and put on the rocks every night, you know? Mm-hmm. A, so if you if you went on, like, a 10-straight missed cut event, we might see you drinking, like, Evan Williams. Yeah, the well, right. not, <laughs> exactly. Not the classy Evan Williams, the well, like, college no. bar. <laughs> oh gross! Yeah, I'd be drinking like uh, Canadian Club or something like that. <laughs> gross. <laughs> All right, um, Robbie also wants to know what's the best shot you've ever hit. Oh jeez, Robbie! I, um, I think okay, probably for the magnitude of the situation was my first Q school final round, the sixth and final round of 2014 Q school, where I'm two back of the cut number with two to play, and I'm playing P.J. West at stadium course. Are you familiar with it at all? Uh, Yeah, yeah, the one that's on TV every year. Yeah, so for anyone that can't picture that 17th hole, it's that island green that looks like Alcatraz with all the rocks around it. It's similar to the 17th at Sawgrass, except it's 30 yards longer and you're elevated 10 yards above the green. And I think the green's had, smaller, too, right? Yeah, it certainly looks smaller from up there as well. And uh, um, I think that day was, I don't even know, it was in between like 165, 170 yards. Pin is back right. Like, it's almost in that stupid walkway. Like, it doesn't even look like it's on the green. And I need to make two birdies coming in. Um, 
sorry, one birdie. I just birdied the 16th hole. I needed to play my last three and two under. And I'm looking at this pin, and I just kind of manned up, and I hit an eight iron right at it, and it landed six inches short of the hole and nestled up to within, like, finger length. You know, I couldn't miss it if I tried. So uh, that had to be for the situation. You know, that, that was my first year on web.com, and um, that probably went a pretty far way into helping my experience and my uh, my confidence in my game of golf. Just, you know, playing that whole year on web.com as well. Yeah, that's right. So, um, Tommy Kays wants to know if there are any special ladies in your life. Very personal question. Oh, super personal. Well, yeah, to be fair, my putter and I have been on pretty good terms lately. It got sour there for a little bit. I thought about, uh, I thought about separating the beds, maybe go sleeping in the, uh, sleeping in the living room for a little bit, but she's come around and, uh, She's starting to she's starting to pull her weight around here, but um, so far she's my uh, she's my one and only lady. <laughs> does she have a name? Odyssey. Oh, does she have a name? Ooh, she does have a name. Um, but we shall call her Valerie. How's that? Valerie. All right. Yeah. I I, I can go with that. I don't think my you'll Odyssey meet, number seven. I don't think you'll meet any ladies in our respective age group or many named Valerie, so exactly. Yeah, okay. Only Val. only down here in Columbia. Yeah. Val isn't I guess that that isn't that uncommon, but see mm-hmm. you know, I, you could go Babs, you know, Barbara. Ah, I could go Babs. Ah we'll we'll figure it out. I guess I can't put a name on her yet. Yeah. We'll brainstorm. We'll see how Something she does here the next couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, the next two weeks are big two weeks for uh for for Val. Yeah, you might as well just ask me then, and, you know, I'll give you an answer in two weeks' time. Um, So Scott Scott G. had uh, a couple architecture questions, and I know you're you're an architecture uh, fan, so Uh what's what's your favorite type of course to play, like where you you like to play the most? Is it like, you know, a bomber, shot maker course, like small greens, tight fairways, or wide? Uh, big yeah. Like where where do you feel like you have the best advantage? Where I play well is long golf courses where you have to hit a lot of drivers, but not overly tight. You know, there's there's space to hit it, obviously. And then when you are coming into the greens, you have a lot of seven irons through nine irons. That's my favorite type of golf course. And that's probably why I keep going back to Southern Hills so often, <laughs> because you have like three wedges, and the rest are nine irons through six irons, and uh, that's kind of where I feel I feel like that's my niche. That's what I what's what I do best is mid iron play. So I probably should go work on my wedges since the Web.com tour is all drivers and flip wedges. So, but <laughs> so what yeah. I was just gonna say is it it doesn't seem like that's what the Web.com tour is about. Do you no. Harling <laughs> off that, you know, like with the web.com, like, is it, I, you know, you look at where you played well last year, and for the most part, they're, they were at courses that were deemed like more or less PGA Tour style setups. Do you feel right. like that the, you know, the general courses, you know, don't really, aren't really a good predictor of future success on the PGA Tour because they're, you know, really the courses are just basically bomb and gouge central all over. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, you pretty much nailed it there. Um, you can get away with a lot of stuff, a lot of errant uh, shots, errant decision-making. There's not a whole lot of places where you need a, where you need to do a lot of planning on the web.com. Um in reference to your, in reference to where you want to put the ball in the fairway, where you want to leave it on the green, and things like that. There's only a maybe a handful, maybe a half a dozen, that uh, that really will spark your spark your attention. So it's, I think it's getting better. They've added some good golf courses in the last couple of years, and I know there are more on the table for next year. But 
yeah, it's 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 like we'll see next week at uh, or at Orange County National for Q School finals. Both of those golf courses are near 7,400 yards long, and uh, a friend I just talked to who played uh, who played it yesterday said the fairways aren't rolling, and the majority of the clubs are gonna, you know, they're gonna be like five, four, maybe even a couple six or seven irons into the into the par fours. So, you know, is that an accurate qualifying school for the web.com? Probably not, but um, I think what it comes down to is that the best players get out every year. You know, the top 20, the top 25, all those guys are going to have to play on the PGA Tour. Sure, there's a couple guys that kind of snuck their way in there, you know, maybe, maybe fiddling it around with good wedge play and shoddy driving, but, you know, the cream of the crop always rise at the top. And, um, you know, I guess, I guess that's really all that matters, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, uh, so, so with, uh, you know, where's it, what's your favorite stop on the web.com tour? Ooh, that's a good question. Greenville, South Carolina is very fun. That's probably one of the best run tournaments sponsored by BMW and, and Cinex, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they treat the players very well. There's a bunch of restaurants in downtown Greenville that will will give us meals. I remember Trey Mullinex took a bunch of guys out right after his win in Raleigh the week before, and they racked up like a $2,000 bar tap, and it was all waived. All they had to do, you know, tip the waiters and waitresses uh, handily. Wow. Uh, they treat us nicely there, and we get to go we get to go to the BMW test facility and just abuse their cars for as long as we want to. So that's always good fun. That is uh, sweet. Um, yeah, that's a nice so, word. I, I missed this question from Scott G. Who's your favorite architect? Oh, that's a nice one. Um, well, ever since I played Shore Acres about a month or two ago, it's, Seth rainer has got to be up there. He's uh, I've played a handful of his golf courses. And the way he he uses terrain and landscape and how he appeals to good golfers and bad golfers alike is just outstanding. So that's uh, I really think golf architecture is kind of coming into a rebirth or like a revival stage where people are understanding that you know golf courses don't need to be these you know big bunker massive green complex like you see at um like Reese Jones or Robert Trent Jones golf courses. Yeah. You, know, you know, there should be more runoffs and um opportunities to use the putter because, you know, the ha- the high handicapper uh they should use the putter more often. It's easier, but the low handicapper is gonna want to chip it just because of out of pure ego and you know you might see the high handicapper getting up and down more often than the low handicapper does with all these, you know, collection areas and uh and the fairway cut around those areas. So I think I think it's coming around. I, I know Jack Nicholas is redoing a lot of his golf courses that way. Gil Hans is a fantastic designer, and then I can't say enough good things about uh, Tom Doak and, uh, God, who's his other guy? Bill Crower and Ben Crenshaw, those those duo. They're doing some really wondrous things around the golf uh, golf landscape as well. What's uh what's your favorite course that you've uh, gotten to play or, or maybe not favorite top three I know number one's always in, it's impossible to rank golf courses. Yeah, for me right now after playing Shore Acres the first time, awesome. So that's that's number one right now. Um, just the amount of good holes out there that were either, you know, even the short holes and the par threes out there are fantastic. You know, nothing's a pushover. You know, you can't. You can't slip up on that golf course. You can't let your can't let your mind go. Otherwise, you know you're gonna find yourself on the wrong side of a whole location. And God, you can't even get the putt within ten feet sometimes. So, um, I like the way that Seth designed that place, and it's that was like a uh, that was like a out of body experience going to Shore Acres the first time. That's uh, I've played there so many times, and you know, luckily, and I haven't found a course better. Isn't it awesome? It's just the best. Yeah. (laughs) The ravines, and it's outstanding. 
The thing I find hilarious is that somehow Golf Digest says there's 98 better courses in the world than that, or in the U.S. than that. Which that just that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> I I've played a lot of them ahead of it. And it's it's just criminal. It's, it probably speaks more to their uh, the quality of Raiders that they have than anything. Yeah, they have one of the hardest par fours I've ever played. One of the best short par threes, and also one of the best short par fours I've ever par pl- I've played as well. So, yeah, I've played a lot of golf. I'd like to say, and uh, you know, that does a lot. I Are think. you talking about ten as the hardest par four? Yeah, <laughs> that holds impossible. twelve, obviously. And then what's the yeah. what's the short par four? Is it thirteen? Or eleven. Thirteen's pretty good. I uh I like thirteen a lot and then also number two I thought was really clever. Oh, two's awesome. God, so good. Two's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's like that's the um I for those of you that aren't familiar with Shore Acres, I, I'm gonna post a, a review of a of it this week. It's been yeah, it's it's just spectacular Seth Rainer course that I think the Holes 10 through 17 is probably one of the best stretches of golf in ever, like ever created. Um, and you know, it really is. <laughs> outside of, you know, you look at like seaside courses, there aren't many courses that are, you know, more kind of like jaw-dropping, beautiful than Shore Acres is. So, mm-hmm. I agree. But, uh, yeah, and then, uh, so it's it's, uh, it's been good having you on, man. Thanks for, oh, thanks for having me, Andy. That was good fun, wasn't it? I hope you had a good time. Hope everyone's going to enjoy this. Yeah, yeah. Anything, uh, you know, We uh, hopefully, if anything, we've given more uh, people one more name to watch next week. And then uh, this week also at the at the finals for Latin America tour. So good luck. And uh, we'll be uh, we'll be tracking. You know, we'll be sending cool. out a lot of tweets about Vince India status. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon and good luck. Thanks, Andy. Speak soon. I'll see you when I'm back in Chicago. All right. Later. Bye.